2 Timothy chapter 4. Now we, last time we, we saw that in verse 8, Paul told Timothy that he, there was laid up for him. He said, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. And these verses in this book and, and, the, and the book before, Paul has been, has been speaking to Timothy, getting him ready for the ministry going forward after he would leave. Now, in this evening, of course, in the, the evening service, we're going to be saying goodbye to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he knows that it's very soon that he's going to be facing the martyr's axe. He knows that it's going to be soon. And so that's why he says, beginning in verse 9, if you would, we're going to read that down to verse 18. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galilee, to Galatia, I'm sorry, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Torres with Carpus, when thou comest, bring it, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen, he says. I want to speak to you this morning on remaining diligent during the age of apostasy. Now, Paul, the apostle, began his letters to Timothy to, to uh, when he began those letters, or he did it, and it became immediately evident that this young preacher was dear to Paul's heart. 
we would see in 1 Timothy chapter chapter 1 and verse 2, he said unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And then he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. So Paul had no one so vital and dependable to him and to the ministry as his co-worker Timothy. Now, Paul now begins to show us the great need for diligence in the age of apostasy. He said in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come to me shortly. And then he said some things there that we'll look at. But then in verse 21, also he said, Do thy diligence to come before winter. Paul had said in verse 8 that, that uh, something is laid up for him. The word laid up means to be stored up or to reserve, to be reserved or laid up. And he's talking about the crown of righteousness. He's talking about the day that he would go into the Lord's presence. Would to God that we are busy laying up treasures in heaven. Amen. But then in, he also said that it's committed to him against that day. Uh, something, the word committed there, we would see here that, uh, and also in verse, uh, chapter 1 in verse 12, when he said, for, <clears throat> for the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, the word committed comes from a word that means something entrusted or a deposit. And Paul is simply saying to Timothy, Timothy, I've deposited everything to my blessed Lord. I've deposited everything to him. So it's imperative that you be diligent in your work because everything that I've said it has been for God's glory. And so, Timothy, going forward, you know there are going to be those who will turn away from the truth. There will be those who will not endure sound doctrine. So, Timothy, you remain diligent in these days, in the days of apostasy, the age of apostasy, knowing, uh, that, that knowing without doubt that his departure was coming soon. It's clear that Paul wanted to, to give Timothy some vital instructions uh, concerning the last days and an, and an overview of those uh, who would had a, who had affected his ministry. So in verse 9 uh, begins that new section here including those personal instructions and greetings and then a final testimony. But Paul wanted to see Timothy before he died. So he, he wrote, he said, be diligent, do thy diligence. Do your best, Timothy, to come shortly. And the word shortly there is actually the word quickly. And so Paul is under the pressure. He knows that for him to see Timothy before he, before he is martyred, he knows Timothy must get there. And so he says, come shortly unto me. And he, he repeated this request a little later, implying that, 
that uh, inclement weather, he said, come before winter, that inclement weather might prevent Timothy from, from coming uh, if he did not come before winter. This is in verse 21. So far now, we've seen in the last days, the age of apostasy, we've seen uh, that diligence, we must be diligent because of an impending judgment. We saw that in verse 1 and 2. That should be on your outline. Then, and then diligence because of an increasing apostasy. We would have to say, we that have been in, uh, a Christian for any length of time, would have to say that we have certainly witnessed the increase of apostasy, uh, turning away from those things of the Lord. We've seen that. Turning away from salvation by grace through faith alone. Turning away from the, from the authority of the word of God. Turning away from thus saith the Lord. And, and so we're to be diligent because of the increase, increase in apostasy. And then to be diligent because of the impending death. Paul began to talk here in verse 6 and 7 about his death. And he said he had fought a good fight. He had kept the faith. He had finished his course. But, but then we saw that we're to be diligent because of the incorruptible crown. We saw that on Wednesday evening. But an incorruptible crown, and he says that he's, that is laid up for him, and not for him only, but for all those who love his appearing. I hope you love the Lord's appearing. Uh, boy, wouldn't, it, wouldn't that straighten out the mess right now if the Lord would just appear? I tell you what, it would, wouldn't it? But then today, this morning, I want us to see that we're to be remain diligent uh, in the days of apostasy because of the imperative message of the gospel. You know, we live in a time when, uh, when a lot of people are saying there are many ways to heaven. Uh, aren't we all just going to the same place? No, we're not. Aren't we all, can't we all just get there by, by living a good life? No, we can't. Can we all just uh, maybe uh, buy some indulgences, if you would, and get there? No, we can't. Can't we just do something to get there? The only thing that can be done has been done, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the only, and to trust him, to trust him and his cross work and trust your eternal destiny on what he, accept that, accept that and believe, trust him. Now, Paul had taught Timothy that a good soldier does not shrink from danger. Uh, but he needed Timothy to be fully aware of the dangers that he would face when he came to him. Paul spelled out the situation in Rome very clearly, even though Timothy, uh, for Timothy to make, uh, would have to make his own intelligent decision. Uh, it's amazing how that the doctors sometimes now will tell you certain things and they say, well, you do this, you do this. No, you give me the information, doc, and I'll make my decisions. I'll make my decisions. And uh, so, um, but he, Timothy had to make his, an intelligent decision. The apostle uh, did not want this young preacher uh, to let his heart run away with his head. And if we're not careful, that, that can happen. If, we, if he came, he needed to come with his eyes wide open and fully aware of the situation. And in these verses that we read this morning, that Paul begins to list his co-workers and how the age of apostasy affect them, affected them, affected the gospel, and affected the ministry. And that's what we want to begin looking at. First of all, we would see in verse 9 and 10, 
Timothy begins to list some hindrances to the gospel. Some hindrances to the gospel. It's amazing how that some want to hinder the word of God from being preached. But Paul was, we're not new to that. It, this was happening then in Paul's day. It was happening, of course, in Christ's day. They did not want the gospel to be preached. But the hindrances of the gospel, or to hindrances to the gospel it should be. But as Paul began his list of co-workers, there's a, a, a blight jumps up or appears here. Notice he says, Demas hath forsaken me. The word forsaken there means deserted. Having loved this present world, having loved this present world, Anona, or Aeon, Anona is the word, and it can mean age, or era, or uh, uh, ERA, era, or life. And he said that he's loved this present world. Now, Paul had mentioned Demas twice before. He mentioned, in, mentioned him in, in uh, uh, Philemon, verse 24. Paul called him a fellow laborer. And then in Colossians 4 and 14, Paul just merely mentioned his name, the, the name of, of Demas. <clears throat> and now the apostle uh, calls him a deserter. He calls him one who has forsaken him. Uh, the charge was that Demas had deserted the faith and the church and even deserted Paul. And some would say, well, he just deserted the church. He didn't really, uh, or he just deserted Paul. He did not desert the faith or he did not de desert uh, the church. Well, let's, I want us to look and see if that be the case. Uh, this suggests to us that Demas left Paul when, when Paul needed him most. Uh, it's amazing, you know, I think the Proverbs tells us that uh, confidence in an, unf an, unfaithful, an unfaithful man is like uh, a tooth uh, uh, out, of uh, out of socket or a rock in your mouth, it's not, I forget how it goes, uh, a tooth that hurts. And uh, so you know what that is, most of us would. But in verse 10, he said, having, having, having loved this present world, now, it is possible that Demas in some way had been, had been very valuable to Paul uh, and his ministry in Rome and that the apostle wanted Timothy to come soon in order to pick up the work that Demas had abandoned. It's amazing to me how that people can just abandon the work of the Lord, uh, abandon the work. But remember now, Demas is first mentioned in Colossians, which was written shortly after 1 Timothy. Uh, and some five years before 2 Timothy during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. At that time, Demas, along with Luke and uh, Epaphras, were, was one of uh, the apostles' closest associates. You could read that in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 to 14. But in the, uh, in the book of Philemon, is written about the same time uh, from the same place, Paul sent greetings in behalf of Demas, uh, one of his fellow workers, verse 24 of Philemon. Now, it's certain that Paul had invested a great deal of time and effort in the careful teaching and, and counseling and encouraging Demas and encouraging those that worked with him and expected him to carry on the ministry. At, the, uh, at that time, 
friendship with Paul, especially as a co-worker, risked sharing the persecution and prisoned with him. And you can see how that would maybe frighten someone. But with the risk of increasing persecution, Demas resolve, Demas's resolve decreased. Because he loved the word of God says this present world more than he, first of all, than he loved the Lord. He loved the world, the present world, more than he loved the Lord. He loved the present world more than he loved the Lord's people. He loved the present world more than he loved the Lord's work. He had, he may not have been a true believer at all. I want to submit something to you that I, I think would, would give us great light about Demas here. First of all, if uh, he said, and John tells us, the apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, there are three usages of the word world that are employed in the Scripture. The first word that's used for the world has to do with the creation, the cosmos, this globe on which we live and exist. We can read of that in the Gospel of John 1 and then John 3 and then 6 and 7 and 8. For God so loved the world. He loved what he made. But then we see mankind. There's a world that it's used for mankind. We could read in John chapter 13, verse 34, John 15 and verse 12. But then there's the, the world, the, the, the spiritual rim that is in opposition and rebellion to God and to his kingdom. That system that is anti-God. Now, folks, it's amazing in the day in we live how the world, the world seems to be becoming more and more anti-God. Uh, you'll, you'll notice because of, uh, because of this thing that went on uh, at the school in Tennessee that there's, there's a lot of reports are saying that the, the persecution of Christians is beginning to escalate. Uh, of course, they're not willing to come to grips with what really caused that. But, but in, in, in any event, they're saying that, that the, some of the news reports are saying that uh, Christians are being persecuted. Or, and that the persecution is just beginning. I believe, if we read the Word of God correctly, I believe it's going to increase even more and more. Now, Demas's heart may have been uh, a stony heart, a st in a stony place, covered by just enough soil to superficially accept the seed of the gospel, but not enough to bring full salvation, bring him to salvation. When the heart... Or when they, and then when the heat of the world's affliction or persecution uh, became too fierce, he withered and fell away, according to Matthew, the parable of Matthew 13. 
verse 5 and 6, and then verse 20 and 21. Or perhaps his heart was, was, uh, was thorn-infested. And when, and when the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word of God, it proved to be unfruitful, or he proved to be unfruitful. Matthew 13, verse 7, and then verse 22. His cowardice was greater than his commitment, and he deserted Paul. And I believe that he deserted the ministry. And I believe that we could say that he, uh, I, I'm thinking by looking at this in 1 John, I'm thinking that he probably wasn't saved because some other things I want us to see later. But, but uh <clears throat> Departed, the word departed here, or forsaken, comes from a Greek word that means to utterly abandon and leave someone helpless in a dire situation. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. He walked away when we needed him most. And perhaps the sacrifice of many comforts was including the probable loss of his own freedom became too high a price for Demas to pay. He was a fair-weather disciple at best who, who never had considered the cost of genuine commitment to Christ. I had a preacher tell me one time, and I, I think I mentioned the other day about me preaching on the street here in Woodstock, but I, I had a preacher tell me one time, he says, you guys be careful. He was a pastor. He said, you guys be careful out there. And he wasn't talking about <clears throat> the Mack trucks flying by nor the, nor the BMWs zipping around. He was talking about, he said, I don't want to go to jail. And I said, well, go, you don't want to go to jail. Well, I don't want to go to jail either, but I'm not going to stop preaching the word of God. Amen. Amen. Now, <clears throat> Uh, and I've had, I've had people throw beer bottles. I've had people throw license plates at me, old license plates. And I had one, a license plate zipped by my head one time, just about missed me about that far. And it was like a Frisbee going by. And uh, so I, you know, I, it happened so fast I couldn't get out of the way. It's a good thing I didn't. It's a good thing I zigged instead of zagged or it would have cut my head off. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, I, but it just happened so fast. But you, but uh, Folks, we cannot let we cannot let the fear of reprisal come stop us from preaching the word of God and living our faith based on the word of God. We can't do that. He may have been caught up emotionally with with the idea of a noble cause, which which he had, uh, was did his part to to serve with the demands. That were not when they were not so great. It's amazing how people can hear a cause and they can jump on board real quick, and and then all of a sudden, when you really need them, they're nowhere around. But when he when the cost became costly, he was not there, and he his 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 reason for fleeing to Thessalonica is not really given in the text here, but it, but he must have considered it to be a safe haven for him. Perhaps that it was his home place. I can read that out of Philippians, uh, Philemon, verse 4. And it, in, in which case he, he may not have 
been known there as, as a Christian or as believers there were not yet perse being persecuted. He may have renounced Christ altogether and joined, rejoined the world. Whatever it was that caused him to desert, he, he brought great disappointment and anguish to the great apostle Paul, whatever it was. So we see some, some of those. Paul is enlightening us to, to some of those who were hindrances, hindrances to the gospel. We would never want to be a hindrance to the gospel. But then I want you to notice in verse 14 and 15. Notice he says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did much evil. Did me much evil. The Lord, re the Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. We had some hindrances to the gospel. Here we see some haters of the gospel. This Alexander here could hardly have been the person who risked his freedom and possibly his life by defending Paul in Ephesus that we would read about in Acts chapter 19. It was not, could not be him, I don't think. He may have, he may have been the man whom, along with uh, Hymenius, that Paul said that he had delivered over to Satan so that he may be taught not to blaspheme. 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 20. But Paul's identifying him as a coppersmith uh, probably indicates that he was neither of these. Alexander was a common name of that day. And like Demetrius, uh, a silversmith who, who made silver shrines at, at Artemis in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 24, this Alexander may have been an idol maker who, who fiercely resented the apostle and did him much harm. You see, if you talk people out of worshiping their idols, then I can't sell any idols. Uh, but uh, for, for that as well as for the, for the false teaching, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds, Paul said here. Faithful to God's word, Paul of Deuteronomy 32, verse 20, uh, 35, including his own teaching of Romans 12 and 19, Paul just says he leaves vengeance to the hand of God. Because the apostle tells Timothy, uh, to be on guard against him, uh, against uh, him yourself. This enemy may have lived in Rome and caused Paul trouble during one or both of his imprisonments. If that's the case, then he was warning Timothy to, to be on the outlook for him when he arrived there to see Paul. Even worse uh, than the harm that Alexander caused, Paul personally was... Harmed, uh, saw the harm that he had done to the cause of Christ by being vigorously opposed to Paul's teaching. I, I seem to indicate seem to indicate here that Paul was going that he was going behind Paul and and getting up any literature Paul would get give, and he's going behind Paul and and teaching them. But Paul. Paul is, is a renegade. Don't listen to Paul and, and trying to do away with Paul's words. 
more than an enemy of Paul, he was an enemy of God. I want us to look at these verses and see that Alexander, first of all, was a devilish man. Notice he says in verse 14, he did me much evil. Whoever he was, he hated Paul and he hated the gospel. And he did bought Paul much evil. The Greek word here used to render much, uh, uh, much evil, or it means many evil things. He did all he could do to do evil against Paul and what Paul was teaching. And he used many evil tactics to do that. The word translated evil is a word that suggests depravity. Kekos. And it suggests depravity. And Paul is saying that this man was given over fully to depravity and resenting the gospel, resenting the man of God, standing against the gospel, standing against the man of God. We're not told how this evil man expressed his wicked nature in opposition to Paul, but we see, first of all, he was a devilish man. Secondly, we see that he was a doomed man. The Word of God says the Lord rewarded him, the Lord reward him according to his works. Give him what he's asking for, Lord. I remember several months ago now, maybe a year or so ago, I brought a series of messages on the imprecatory psalms. And uh, some people went out with their hair on fire that, uh, that, that, that we would even suggest that, uh, that God, uh, that, that, that the psalmist would actually pray that God would bring judgment upon his enemies. But if you read those psalms, you'll find that's exactly what he did. By the way, we do believe God is a sovereign God. And we, know, we believe that God knows the end from the beginning. And so God knows if those folks will get right that are hindering, such as Alexander. Well, if they're not going to get right with you, God go ahead and judge them now. So he was a doomed man. Alexander might have found favor in, 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 uh, in Nero's eyes, but he, but he was a doomed man. If this Alexander was the one whom Paul had already uh, handed over to Satan, this disciplinary action would, would not uh, produce any positive change in him. He had, he had gone from bad to worse. Yet, we note no element of malice or spirit in the Apostle Paul's words. He was simply thankful that God was still on his throne and that, that men like Nero and Alexander do not live forever. Amen. We have to say amen to that. You say, well, preacher, I'm concerned about the government. I'm concerned about the government too. But you know what I can do about it? Nothing. But God can. Amen. God can change everything. And I believe that God's, I, believe, I honestly believe that we're in the mess that we're in in this country because pulpits have, pulpits have backed down and pews have backed down and we've not stood up and said no it's not going to go that way but we're at a point now we can't do anything about it so we do know that God removes kings and God sets up kings we know that so we just trust God 
I'm glad I don't have to run the world. I'm glad I don't have to run the nation. I have a hard enough time running that dodge out there, so, so uh, I've got to have to run that. But uh, so he was not only a devilish man, he was a doomed man, but we also see in, in this verse 15, he was a dangerous man. He said, and Timothy needed to be warned. He said, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. If Alexander was an, was an Ephesian, he doubtless knew and hated Timothy as well as he'd hated Paul. And whether in Ephesus or in Rome, Timothy needed to be on guard against this, this wily adversary and the wiles of the devil. He said he had withstood. He had withstood. And of course, that simply means that he set oneself against. It means that he made it his job to interfere with the gospel. He made it his, he set himself against Paul and against the message of Paul. He withstood it. It was, it was to, it, uh, it's used to describe the way the Egyptian musicians opposed Moses and contributed to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. In chapter 3, verse 8, you remember Janus and Jamboree's that it mentions in chapter 3 and verse 8 here, and he says, Now as Janus and Jamboree's withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. You see, there's two things they always want to stand against. They want to stand against truth, and they want to stand against faith. And basically, they want to stand against truth. There are no such thing as half-truths. A half-truth is a full lie. Truth, the truth of the Word of God. So, we understand Alexander was guilty of doing the same thing that these uh, did in, in verse 8 of chapter 3 and, in, and deliberately setting out to oppose Paul and the gospel. This coppersmith strengthened Nero's wicked resolve, his wicked attempts to persecute Christians. It's said that he would light, put Christians on a pole and light, and light them afire to light the, light the pathway. But then we see some hindrances to the gospel, some haters of the gospel. But then verse 10, Paul begins to talk to us about some heroes of the gospel. Know this, this Crescens uh, was a faithful, unknown hero. Verse 10, the middle part. Except for what little we can, can be inferred from, from this mention here in this passage, we know nothing about this man. Because he was sent uh, to Galatia by Paul and didn't flee. Uh, he obviously was faithful and dependable to the service of Christ. You know, it's amazing to me how wonderful it is 
for that one that doesn't seek to get his name in lights but just wants to serve God. You may never hear their name. You never may even know they exist. But a lot of things, a lot of things are done and a lot of jobs are taken care of just because someone like Christine's stepped up and just said, this is what I want to do. They don't toot their horn. You know, some people say, well, if you don't toot your own horn, it'll go untooted. But, you know, you don't, a lot of people want to do that. But, but glory to God to those who just, I just want to serve God. Amen. Don't want a name for myself. I just want to serve God. Amen. That seemed to be him. Except for what's little known, we know nothing of him. But then we see Titus, the faithful, in verse 10. Titus, is, uh, Titus, on the other hand, was both known and faithful. Paul's letter to him uh, was written several years after 1 Timothy and a few years, about a year before 2 Timothy. So in between his 1 and 2 Timothy was, the, was his letter to Titus. And besides here and in the book that he carries his name, Titus is mentioned uh, by the apostle nine times in 2 Corinthians and twice in the book of Galatians. Paul left Titus in Crete. Notice Titus 1.5. He said, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. You see, he knew that Titus could be faithful. He could leave him there. And then there's Luke, the faithful companion. In verse 11, Luke is mentioned by name only three times in the New Testament, and, and of which he's, he's the only Gentile author in the, script, uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Yet he wrote the longest of the four Gospels as well as the lengthy book of Acts. Paul himself refers to uh, refers to this man as, uh, as Luke, the beloved physician, in Colossians 4 and verse 14, and as one of his fellow workers in Philemon, verse 24. And because of his literary skills, it's believed uh, that uh, he seems very profitable, that he acted sometimes as Paul's amanuensis, that his, his stenographer, the one that took down all that Paul would say or that what Paul would say to write and send the letters. Then there's, we see in verse, verse 11 as well, there's Mark the Restored. Mark, who sometimes is called John, was, was a native of Jerusalem, Acts 12, 12. And when Paul and Barnabas embarked on their first missionary journey, Mark tagged along as, as a servant, as their servant in Acts 12, verse 25. Then into Acts 13. Mark, however, deserted them when, when faced with the perils that loomed, uh, loomed ahead for them. Later, uh, planning their second missionary journey when Paul and Barnabas were, uh, were there, they, they quarreled over Mark. Mar uh, Barnabas wanted to give, give Mark, who was the ne his nephew, the second chance and take him along. But Paul just simply said no. A disagreement followed, of course. You know, you're reading the scripture. Uh, resulting, resulted in the parting of the ways, Acts chapter 15. But apparently we see, we don't see it here, but we know by what it says here that Mark was reconciled to Paul before the apostle wrote Colossians and Philemon uh, during his first imprisonment in Rome. You can see Colossians 4 verse 10 and Philemon verse 24 again. 
Though likely Mark was with or near Timothy when Paul wrote asking Timothy to bring, to bring Mark. Then in verse 12, we see, we see Tychicus, the faithful messenger. And then Carpus, the faithful host. This is the one that Paul had left his cloak with him. And then, of course, we see in verse 17, Christ, the faithful Lord. Throughout the whole empire, persecution of the church had begun, and Paul was on trial now for his life. He stood before the, the dreadful Roman tribunal, perhaps before Nero himself. The court would have been jammed with spectators, and none of those spectators in Rome were on Paul's side. So you can, according to Acts 23 and 11. But here in verse 17 and 18, they testify, the testimony is that to the faithfulness of Christ, the Lord who stood with Paul and strengthened him. He stood with him and he strengthened him. Can you imagine here Paul, what Paul is saying? He realized, the, the, he realized Christ so much, his presence so much that he said, he stood with me. So he felt that he was right there beside him as he could reach out and touch him. But he also said that he strengthened him. He, he stood there not only or even primarily for Paul's sake, but he stood there that through the apostle Paul's proclamation of the gospel there might be fully accomplished all that all the Gentiles would hear the word of God. You understand that you are most likely a product of Paul's ministry. <laughs> Paul, was, Paul was divinely appointed, the divinely appointed apostle to the Gentiles, according to Romans eleven thirteen, And it was above all for their salvation and for the Lord's glory that the apostle Paul himself ministered, according to the book of Acts, Acts 9, Acts 22, and, chapter 20, and then 26. But then we see also in these verses, we see some faithful old friends that he mentioned. You know, he mentioned, he mentioned, <coughs> he mentioned Priscilla and Aquila, old friends. Then he mentioned Onesiphorus. But then he also mentioned some faithful new friends in these verses. So in conclusion to this, the whole message is that we remain diligent, remaining diligent in the days of apostasy. One of the things that will help you greatest to remain diligent is to turn off the news channels. Amen. I mean, you know, what I want to know what's going on. You never know what's going on. Whatever the, the loudest noise that's being made in this spot means that they're covering up what they're doing over here in this spot. So you never know for real what's going on. But so in conclusion, we understand that we are in the last days before the coming of the Lord uh, and in the, in the judgment of the wicked world. We, we also understand that with that judgment looming, there is another urgent call for diligence. And that is the rapture of the church. We believe that from the before the coming of the Lord, in great judgment, there's going to be a coming of the Lord in the rapture 
the rapture of the church. This urgent diligence of the rapture and the return of the Lord calls us to faithfulness to the Lord and a fervency in witnessing to the unsaved. So the message is, the application is, do you hear that call to diligence in your life? Do you understand how close we are to the coming of the Lord? Do you realize that there is a man just left Australia a few weeks ago, has come to this country, who is claiming that he is Jesus Christ, a young man. And also he has with him a woman. He left his wife and his family. He has a woman that says that she is Mary Magdalene. And he's gaining quite a crowd. Now, we know that he's, that he's a false prophet. We know that he's, that he's crazy. When I saw this news article, I told Judy, I said, I wish I could see his hands. Uh -huh. Amen. Let me see his hands. Amen. But then one of the, one of the Congress ladies or, uh, who, who, who has a guru that, that thinks that he is uh, several trillion years old. Where do they get these people? I don't know. Do they hatch them somewhere? I mean, are they, is there a farm where they grow? I mean, I don't know. But anyway, do you know your diligence? Do you understand the diligence of speaking to your neighbors, your friends, your family, and getting them to trust Christ as Savior. May God help us. You may have somebody on your mind, on your heart, that you'd love to come and pray for. Why don't you slip now and begin now? Let's come on and, and, and ask God to begin to work on, use you maybe to work in their hearts. Would you do that while we stand? And